We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The biggest takeaways from Sunday of week seven. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards for Gretsch. Find my Stealing Signal Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. Get two emails straight to your inbox Monday afternoon, evening, Tuesday afternoon. With me as always is Sean Siegel, who you can find at Rotoviz. You can find a Zero RB watch coming out Tuesdays, right? That's right. How you doing? Pretty good, man. Uh, this was a pretty auspicious beginning to the show. And I, I tune in here and I see that you are rocking the mustache, which has got me really fired up for this. Also, you know, we talked about, you know, taking that walk in nature, getting your brain cleared out, fired up. Uh, got a text back from you immediately after our show last Thursday slash Friday. Uh, Thursday record Friday. Listen, you took your walk. You were yeah. firing on all cylinders. I told you I had left my I had left my room. Like literally, I don't take enough walks. I got done, and uh, my oldest has been home. Was home from school last week. Has a little cold. Nothing too serious. Uh, she said, "Hey, me and mom are gonna go for a walk." My youngest is in school. Hey, me me and mom are gonna go for a walk. Do you want to come? And I was like, "That's a sign if I've ever seen one." So yeah, had a nice little walk that day. Had to shoot you a text. And uh, we we I mean. We immediately mentioned that on Rotovis Overtime because Colin wanted to turn the whole thing into a meditation. And then uh, we had some we had some fun OT shows that we're going to be releasing on some Sundays. Uh, find out some kind of behind the scenes stuff about my partner there. And I just mentioned this because it actually turned out to be really cool, right? Everybody knows Colin Kelly. He's from Ireland. He was actually the tight end, and I think probably the Rob Gronkowski of the Donegal Dairy Vipers. And so, I mean, when you're the starting tight end for the Vipers, then everything is going right. Didn't we sponsor them? Or was that a different team? Back when back when I was at Rotoviz, uh, you know, back when, when the fantasy douche was there, Frank, he 
got the Rotoviz logo on the jersey, uh, you know, by actually sponsoring American football team. I don't know if it was necessarily Colm's team, though. Well, it seems like it would have had to been an Irish team. I mean, the Irish football is where it's at. So that was all very exciting. You can you can tune in and, and find out how the Vipers did on overtime. But then also, this was the big breakthrough weekend. You know, we talked on the show last week, late round QB. You know, you needed to have the stars. And the guy that we put really, you know, went in with all the marbles on Joe Burrow breaks through the day. The Bengals break through. He goes for over 400 yards. Jamar Chase, I mean, he's right there already as the number one a dynasty wide receiver. Goes over 200 yards today. Now, I mean, Cooper Cup obviously having something to say about that every week. But I also don't want to leave this uh, little introduction time here without saying again that Dan Campbell is the coolest head coach in the NFL, right? The Lions lose, but they had a shot today. Unfortunately, Jerry Goff does throw that interception in the end zone late when they're driving to potentially take the lead. A 15-play drive, trailing 25-19, and just having the chance to go ahead there. But they set that up because when they score first, DeAndre Swift, the long touchdown, DeAndre Swift looking like an absolute superstar. But then they onside kick, they recover that, they get stopped, fake punt, execute that. Later in the game, they fake punt again, a completely different fake punt. Both of them executed perfectly, easily picked up both of them. The first one was a pass, right? The second one was a run. Exactly. Fantastic. It was a, it was fantastic to see the Lions having a little fun, embracing being the underdog. Had a, uh, Oh, no, they did not have a halftime lead. They were down 17-16, but they did take a lead in the third quarter. Had a lead after three periods, 19-17. to 17. Lost late, but huge underdogs in this game on the road. And to your point, yeah, they made it very exciting. It was a fun game. I mean, really, if at any point they'd been able to stop Cooper Cup from making huge plays, they would have won the game. I mean, Cup at this point has been transcendent to the uh, level that it's really kind of hard to keep expressing. Uh, you know, saw at the end of the telecast there, first player, first wide receiver, I think, in NFL history to go over 800 yards and nine touchdowns in the first seven games. So, I mean, right now, forget Derrick Henry, whose Titans did absolutely annihilate my Chiefs today. But if anything weird happened in that game, it was the fact that the Chiefs more or less kept him in control. He throws a touchdown pass. So uh, even if you sort of control him on the ground, he's going to do that to you, I guess. But if you have Cooper Cup and Jamar Chase right now, I mean, you're you're pulling away. Absolutely. And and Chase, I mean, I don't I don't really know what to say about Cup. I mean, I coming into the year, one of the things I guess that I'm sort of proud of is I, I did say in a lot of different places when I was talking about the Rams receivers that if one of these guys broke free and, and hit a, a ceiling season, it was it, it was Cup and Cup was the one that needed to be getting drafted higher um, for, because of the, the targets per run stuff that we've referenced a bunch and then you know, the potential for him to actually run more routes. And he's been doing that, but he had shown the ability to dominate volume at a higher level than Robert Woods over multiple seasons. And part of the reason that their their numbers have been closer over the past few years has just been that Woods has been so consistently more, more involved in a route sense and, and running more routes overall. So, yeah, I mean, in that regard, I, I would say that I'm like, I'm like slightly not surprised at the same time. I am like that's that's a slight, right? I'm incredibly surprised of the extent of it. 
Like, I, I'm not surprised that he's outperforming Robert Woods. I am surprised how extreme this has been. I don't really know to what degree we can expect this to continue. That was all supposed to just be the lead-in to me saying that Jamar Chase, uh, I tweeted the same as what you just said today, that he's just clearly the uh, dynasty wide receiver one now. There's just no question. A 21-year-old elite prospect. I mean, I, I, we, I'm sure we, we could have uh, a discussion about Justin Jefferson and about many other guys. But 21-year-old elite prospect playing already at an absolutely elite level, and he's doing it every way. That's the thing that's so impressive to me is he's winning on deep routes, right? But he's also winning on, um, you know, he took the slant for the long touchdown today, breaks a tackle all after the catch, all after contact, whatever you want to say. He's so athletic. There was a play before the two-minute drill where he's running from left to right on kind of a deep over route, catches the ball in the middle of the field, and just is so fast that he covers the entire width of the field and winds up being able to get out of bounds on the opposing, you know, the opposite sideline where the cornerback is trailing him for about a yard, the entire play. And is like trying to reach out and grab him, but he, you know, he just can't get to him. There's also a DB on that other sideline who's covering, you know, somebody else running another route, presumably T Higgins, who's not able to kind of break away and get a good angle on chase and get him tackled in the middle of the field because the Bengals had no timeouts. There was maybe, 30 seconds left in the half there wasn't like they it would have been a little bit more difficult for them if they got tackled in the middle of the field on a big play had to run up all their linemen and get the ball spiked they lose at least 10 seconds but chase takes this deep over route he's still kind of on the left hash and crosses all the way over to the right sideline very seamlessly just shows off that athleticism was the point i was trying to make he's an incredible athlete incredible high-end speed he's winning as a deep threat He's earning targets underneath, catching balls, breaking tackles, gaining yards after the catch. Looks like Odell Beckham Young in his career where he would take slants to the house. That, I mean, that slant where he makes one guy miss and then is at top speed and he's gone. That was like that was young Odell Beckham. And I'm not saying he's going to have Odell Beckham's rookie season. That's blasphemous. Although he's going to have Odell Beckham's rookie season, right, Sean? Like he's definitely on his way towards breaking every record, right? He's on his way. I don't think that he's going to have the overall, you know, per game season – and I mean, Beckham, we've seen make some of these crazy catches, but long-term, if anything, I mean, Chase is, is going to be better, right? I mean, he's faster. And the thing that you mentioned about him doing it in every way was, was the thing that just jumped out so completely today too. I mean, he had one of these sideline grabs where he elevates, you know, gets both feet in. I mean, he's every week making a sideline catch. That's a circus catch. I mean, he's really low percentage types of plays there and one of the cool things kind of reaching back a month was when the Bengals are really struggling you know they had some articles coming out of Cincinnati about the players kind of talking and saying look we got to throw over the top we've got these guys beat we have the players and yeah, now that they're actually aggressively going after it the Bengals attacked today in this game where they were pretty significant underdogs and just went out and dominated the game. And, and Chase is doing it even with the presence of those other guys. Now, Tyler Boyd has really somewhat disappeared, but uh, this was a game where T. Higgins got 11 targets in the first half, right? And so, I mean, unfortunately, he didn't do a ton with them. It was fourth for 33, I think, at halftime then. But, I mean, Chase and Higgins can coexist. They can both get big volume. And this isn't going to be the last 400-yard day we see from – Joe Burrow, and they've now demonstrated, this is kind of important because the Bengals actually do have a very difficult schedule, but they've also demonstrated that if anything, they're going to need to do it and want to do it the most 
against teams that challenge them as opposed to hand the ball off to Mixon. Now, we saw Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan both break the long touchdown runs late, but this was a passing-oriented game all the way up until they took complete control of it. Yeah, and I think, look, everyone has talked about um, can we buy into the Bengals shift in you know pass rate over expectation and all these things. I mean, it hasn't been that hard for me to buy into. Again, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sitting here sort of tooting my own horn, which is fine because it's a, a week where Justin Fields did absolutely horrible again, and I have to wear that. But um, I'll go ahead and toot my own horn on the Bengals again where I had a, a write-up at Odds Checker where I took them plus 6.5, and I took the game over in part because I said that the Bengals were going to be able to succeed on offense. And a and, uh, big thing that I was emphasizing in that write-up was that their last two games coming into this Ravens game were their most impressive games of the year. They took the Packers to overtime, very easily could have won that game. Both teams had a bunch of missed field goals. You could say the Packers could have won it too, but the Bengals certainly could have won that game, right? And then the next week, they act, their win against the Lions, I think, went a little bit under the radar in the sense that earlier in the season when they're trying to run the ball, establish a run and all those things, number one, they lost to the Bears in week two. In week four on Thursday night, they struggled a little bit against Jacksonville. They threw a little bit more in that game. But what happened after that, they had a Thursday night game. They get the little mini buy. They have a little bit of a reset. And then they come out week five and week six. They play two really good games. And, and the, the point I would I made in, in the article uh, analyzing the, the Bengals game and where I, where I took them was that they put away a bad Lions team in a way that they didn't put away the Bears in week two. They didn't, they didn't put away – I can't remember who they played – week one week three they had some other weak opponent that they they let hang around that was their most impressive win was against the lions until this week now they go out and they beat the, the ravens on the road obviously that is now their most impressive win but since that little mini buy the, the this idea of whether we can buy into them in the off season we talked about this a lot and one of the things i said was wait till around week four or week five i think week four was the the, the number i kept giving that that's when you should start judging joe burrow because we knew that they were like they were doing this in August. They were taking it slow with him. They were, he was not comfortable in the pocket in camp. And so the first three weeks, like, yeah, they weren't great, but he was efficient. He threw multiple touchdowns in every game. And now we're actually seeing, okay, the competitiveness has come out. This is the stuff we're talking about. See if he starts scrambling. See if he plays competitively against something Justin Fields is lacking. Um, and Burrow has been playing that way. And then – because of that, because we, they get into their schedule a little bit, he gets his sea legs under him a little bit more. They're starting to shift more towards the pass orientation that they want, that they're going to need to do to win games. Their their offense is the 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 um, the best part of their offense. The strength of their offense is the receivers. And so it's yeah, I mean, you have to be thrilled about what you saw from the Bengals. It was incredible to see them actually win that game. I think even more so to your point, they came out passing. And they contended early. You can say that, you know, some things broke certain ways. They got a lot of points late to make that scoreline look worse than it really probably was. It was a pretty competitive game. Um, they pull away late with a couple long touchdown runs. But early on, they were competitive and they eventually built their lead. I think into the third quarter, it was still maybe a field goal game. And they they pull away while driving, uh, excuse me, while throwing, while, while building drives with the past, your point, Burrow throws over 400 yards. It was incredible. And, I mean, I got a lot of questions about Higgins and the volume and, and how bad he was and this and that. I didn't have a, a real issue with it. Some of it was, like, sideline, one, uh, you know, 50-50 balls. A couple of them were Higgins wide open in the middle of the field that Burrow just sailed. He seemed to be sailing some passes early at times, and, and they just disproportionately seemed to be when he was throwing to Higgins. Certainly 
not all of the inefficiency was on Higgins in my mind. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that. I, I think that that's true. At the same time, I would have liked to have seen Higgins fight a little bit more. We mentioned yep. a couple of weeks ago that Waddle wasn't fighting for the ball, and then he has rallied back and played very well since then. So it's not like there's a real concern about Higgins. It's more a matter of just think of what the upside would be you know, if he makes some of these plays. I mean, he has a an end zone target right before the half where that one Burrow actually does just throw out of bounds and he makes sort of an impressive one-handed grab, but it, I mean, it doesn't mean anything because the ball was thrown far enough out of bounds that that part was irrelevant. But I mean, he's someone with the defense as they're going to have to adjust to just how amazing Chase is at this point that, I mean, he's going to get some favorable coverages. Not every team has multiple elite corners. You can't bring the safety over to the top of everybody. And one of the things that we saw today is that as defenses try and take away that you know triple threat receiving core then you know you're going to break down other spots and so you get those two i mean one extremely long one you know sort of a middle distance touchdown to cj uzama and i mean both of those plays count for people who are playing burrow and you know that as well allows you to have that kind of big game so the Bengals are now looking like this explosive offense that we were expecting and they did it against a tough matchup Real quick, I, I do completely agree with your take on on Higgins, and he had another end zone target late, where they were still throwing. That was a little high, but he just like didn't seem to really go for it. There was a, a little bit of that. I, I I'll certainly acknowledge that. I just think there were a couple easy completions that I saw as well that were sort of more on Burrow. They got to get on the same page, you know, obviously. But I, I I'm still very optimistic about Higgins, and I, it sounds like you are too, right? Yeah, there's some huge games coming. You mentioned that that second half end zone target and that one burrow just missed him it wasn't a great effort but even a great effort probably isn't going to bring that ball in it just has to be a little bit more catchable and so uh, the upside there everyone knows i had higgins ranked extremely highly that early injury kind of uh, derailed any type of early breakout i think the second half of the season breakout is coming you're going to be very excited to play both of these players then we have some more guys breaking out and some more young athletic players will hit right after this NFL football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find NFL tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. One of my bucket list items is certainly to head on over and see my Green Bay Packers over in Green Bay at Lambeau Field. I'm super excited to see how this season plays out for the Packers. Whether it's the Packers or any other team that you want to head and get in on the action this season, and attend a game. Whether it's a home game for your favorite team or it's on the road, TickPick has you covered. Visit TickPick.com slash RotoViz to save 10% on your first order. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season, don't wait, head on over, get those tickets. That is TickPick.com slash RotoViz. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So a game that didn't feature a couple of elite teams, but was kind of fun. And uh, in some ways, especially headlining when you consider all of the Rumors and scuttlebutt now around Deshaun Watson and his potential acquisition by the Miami Dolphins. Uh, there, there still seem to be some pretty significant hurdles standing in the way of that. But Tua could be sort of competing for his early NFL career. I mean, we saw with Marcus Mariota that if you don't get it done at the beginning, then sometimes you know your your second chance may come fairly late in your career, if at all. And so this is a big game for him against a beatable Falcons squad. They lose on a field goal at the end. The Dolphins have lost several close games this way, but overall he was very impressive. Again, except just like last week, throws the really bad interception that turns this game, finishes 291 with four touchdowns, but two interceptions. The breakout player or the most impressive player on this Dolphins receiving core was Mike Gesicki, 7.85 and 1. He looked uncoverable uh, for big stretches of this game. We know that his athletic metrics for the tight end position are really off the charts. Uh, on the other side of the ball, we have another tight end. And it seems like the Atlanta coaching staff is like, nah, I mean, he's he's playing. We can start to talk about him. Uh, already talking about legendary upside with Kyle Pitts. We saw this today, seven for 163. Then he made some kind of crazy one-armed catches. And uh, this is what everybody expected to see, right? I mean, now Calvin Ridley, who had another bad game today, Calvin Ridley kind of has his Julio Jones to run with here. I mean, Kyle Pitts looks like a big receiver and a big uncoverable receiver at that. Yeah, he looked fantastic. You mentioned the one-armed catch. I thought that, I mean, kind of one-handed, one-armed, whatever. I think he got interfered with on the play, if I'm not mistaken. Just kind of checking my notes. I'm pretty sure I wrote that down. Yeah, I think they called DPI on the play, according to my notes. Yep. Yeah, and so was really just impressive. He gets his right arm held back, and he, you know, wasn't like a clean one-handed catch, but good, good, you know, shows good ball skills, basically. Um, he talked in the post-game show, or the, the post-game, I, I saw a note, uh, press conference that you know they asked like how, how did you feel about being covered in by, by man coverage and you know late in the game and 
he said something like he was excited or, you know, I don't know, surprised, excited, something. He was he, chomping at the bit a little bit, which was, you know, good to hear as well. Certainly was getting open, getting open late when he needed to, getting open early, made some big plays. You saw the explosiveness, obviously. He has seven catches, like you said, for 163 yards, averages over 23 yards per catch. You know, was always pretty silly to compare him to other rookie tight ends because he is sort of just a receiver in a tight end, um, you know, positional tag or, or, you know, he's obviously playing some tight end as well, but a, a different type of athlete, certainly. And we're starting to see with the efficiency coming to match the routes. And, you know, he's been earning pretty solid targets so far when the efficiency is hitting as well, which it has these last couple of weeks that the ceiling could be absolutely monstrous. It looks like he's on his way from probably one of the, if not the greatest uh, rookie tight end seasons of all time. So that's going to be pretty fantastic and probably should have been the default expe- expectation, which we, we sort of were talking about this offseason. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, that's where his ADP had him drafted. Yeah. So, yeah, that game was super exciting. My, uh, I agree with you on Tua. You know, the Miles Gaskin merry-go-round continued. He was uh, somewhat productive again, although Malcolm Brown got injured. Uh, but, yeah, Gesicki and Waddle are, are very clearly the two guys there. While Fuller and Parker have been out, it's been it's been nice to have that sort of target concentration. We'll see how that develops. But both those guys are performing really well, so you'd think that they're not going to necessarily get hurt by that. What What are your takes on Ridley? Well, he just looked very frail today, which he, and we know he's not the big wide receiver and kind of going back to the, the fantasy douche era where, you know, you think in terms of some of these guys and what they will bring, and you could see the real difference between Kyle Pitts and Ridley today. And I think to a certain extent that's disappointing, but it's also a situation where the Falcons have to use him explosively. A lot of his mistakes in this game were sort of short over the middle where Matt Ryan, in part because of the design of the play, gets him lit up. And, you know, that's that's not what you want to do with your tiny, fast, explosive receiver who has been one of the leaders in the NFL over the last several seasons and, and definitely in 2020 in air yards. I mean, you've got to unleash him deep. You know, the type of play that Russell Gage gets in this game, a little bit of a broken coverage, is what you want to see from him. Uh, Ridley's had a tough season in terms of being able to make these catches. He had a play today that looked like either a fumble or an interception. He kind of has it a couple times. The defensive back has it a couple times. The defensive back uh, takes it away from him. And that play, if the if the Falcons lose, I mean, that would be a play that would loom large there. We don't know exactly what the personal issues were, but I think that with the mild injuries that he's had, with kind of the weirdness of the way the season has started, that this stuff is, is more or less understandable. And the Falcons were a very run heavy team and deployed him incorrectly over the first three or four weeks. I think this is the time to go out and buy, right? I think that he's going to be a big impact player here. I think that even though you can say, well, it's going to cost him some targets. The fact that Kyle Pitts is so clearly emerging is going to make defenses account for that. That'll open some things up. I, I really like to have these passing games, just like you mentioned with the dolphins where you have the two guys You have the concentrated split between the two guys and they keep defenses from being able to completely key on one or the other. Some of the targets today that we saw go to peripheral players for the Falcons are going to come back to Ridley as the season goes along. And I continue to be optimistic that they're going to use him better. Also the fact that Matt Ryan now is taking off after the first two or three weeks. I mean, there was a real question about is Matt Ryan in the same place that Ben Roethlisberger is at where, I mean, these guys just can no longer make the plays the arm strength simply isn't there to do what you have to do as an nfl starter 
Ryan has looked a lot better. I think that's also a positive sign for Ridley going forward. He's looked great. Uh, I will note uh, Russell Gage had the 49-yard touchdown. That's not really Russell Gage's game. And to that point, he they showed the replay a couple of times. He managed to catch that ball after wearing it off his face mask. It was quite the play. He was knocked down by the ball. It was a pretty funny look there. It was pretty interesting. He was open, wide open. Should have had a, a fairly easy catch for a touchdown. And rather than get his hands on the football, he wore it directly off the face mask, but it ricocheted right to where his hands were, and he was able <laughs> to catch it. It <laughs> just it, it just, just redirected right to where, as he was closing his hands. I mean, honestly, the luckiest catch I've ever seen. Like, that's, you know, I, I like to exaggerate occasionally, but it probably was. Uh, what, what were the other games you want to talk about? I do want to mention Fields for a moment. I, I spent the first half of the show talking about things I was right about because uh, I am a little bit, you know, a little, I'm, I'm having a rough time. I'm a little bit of my feelings right now, Sean, about Justin Fields. You have not gotten a chance to watch that game yet, but I do want to address it because I spent a lot of time talking about it last week. He looked bad again. This was another tough matchup. And I mean, it was a, a defense that was good against, uh, excuse me, uh, has given up a lot of points to opposing quarterbacks. And I had um, sort of referenced that, but we knew that, and we know that one of the big issues with the Bears is their offensive line is just horrible. Uh, the pass rush certainly got to fields a lot, but he's also processing the game slowly. There are a lot of issues there. It's been a pretty big miss for me over the last couple of weeks. And I, I mean, genuinely, I'm still probably going to be holding the guy because I, I do still think there's room for upside, especially if Matt Nagy gets fired, which I'm like, not everyone agrees that it's all on Matt Nagy. I believe that there is a lot of, of uh, an issue there and a culture change would be good for Fields. But yeah, he's someone that obviously can't play right now unless you're as dumb as me and I did play him in one league. Ben, I I understand that that you're that you haven't been exactly correct on this and that you want to be accountable, but I, I think that this is a situation where again just patience is in order. And this was probably not the game for me. And like I said, I haven't seen this one yet, but I, I know just from chatting with you a little bit that it was kind of ugly. Uh, this is not the game I would necessarily be wanting to go with fields because some of these past funnel defenses, I that's going to be good in a lot of situations. I don't know that it's great for a quarterback really trying to get a start, especially you mentioned the offensive line. We saw what happened to the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl, right? Something that can even happen to a Patrick Mahomes. When the defense can take away sort of your, your safety net or your you know blanket or what have you when you're trying to develop. And, and last week we saw a more competent approach from them where Cole Herbert was really able to get out there and do a lot in the running game. I don't know that becoming completely one-dimensional because the defense is so dominant against the run is really what you need for a, a developing quarterback like this. So I, I think that we can give still a little bit of a pass here the positive things about fields are going to still be out there, but we do want him to start developing to slide over to something that maybe is a little <laughs> bit more fun, right? less, less depressing. Yes. You have two favorite players in the NFL and one of them we won't mention because evidently the Carolina Panthers position on the quarterback is to bring in someone that everybody knows is not very good and then be surprised when they play like they were supposed to play and then sort of blame them and bench them and whatnot. So we won't go to DJ Moore. But he did have half of their receiving yards in this game. I got asked uh, about him as well. You know, somebody had gone and traded for him. He's not doing real well. I do I do want to comment on that because they've been terrible as a team the last few weeks. And Darnold last week, I think, had four completions at the half. This week, 
uh, they throw for 144 yards. Moore has 73 yards, literally half of their receiving yards. Look, I mean, it, it's not good. They scored three points. They, they didn't score any touchdowns or anything, but Moore is still in a position where when they start to look like a football team again, things will, things will be okay for him. Yeah. DJ Moore is awesome. I would just suggest NFL teams and NFL coaches be more like Dan Campbell and don't come off of last week's game and tell everybody that you're going to run the ball in every play because then you get the kind of line that Chuba Hubbard had today. The more positive sign was A.J. Brown, right? We go for 6-101 and a touchdown at halftime. Now, we know that the Kansas City Chiefs have been struggling to defend the wide receiver, but I've some of what's happened to the Chiefs is just that teams are very aggressive against them. They need, they know they need to score points. We had the game today where the Chiefs broke down in every way, but that was in part because of A.J. Brown and because of the complete and total dominance that every part of the Titans put on them in this first half. And this was back to more of a healthy A.J. Brown today where every time he touched the ball, he looked bigger, more athletic, and you know, then his defender and just flat out unstoppable, making plays on the ball, making plays after the catch, dragging defenders with him, unstoppable in the red zone, in the end zone. We know that the Titans are going to be run oriented, but we're going to see teams do what the Chiefs did today and sell out on every play to try and stop Derrick Henry. We know that the Titans who, I mean, they've now beaten the Bills and the Chiefs back to back this Chiefs game one of the most impressive victories you're going to ever see because the Chiefs are still a very good team. Last week, you know, they beat the Buffalo Bills, who, if anything, are probably the Super Bowl favorites, right? I mean, probably the best team in the NFL. If the Titans are going to take the next step and be the team that, you know, made to the AFC Championship game in 2019, Julio Jones a little bit and A.J. Brown a lot are going to have to be the sidekicks or even sort of the co-stars with Derrick Henry. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, they've looked, uh, Brown has looked much better the last two weeks. And I mean, obviously has was banged up early, had the big drop game in Seattle that Henry really took over the last two games. They have these huge wins over Buffalo and KC. Uh, and Brown was a very big part of both, particularly the second half of the Buffalo game. And then the first half here against KC where they really did their most damage. That's the, you know, the second half Tennessee got rolling, against Buffalo here in the first half against KC. They built a nice lead. They're up 27-0 at half. They win 27-3. to Brown also got tackled at about the half-yard line, half-foot line maybe. Very nearly had a second touchdown in the first half. Yeah, he looked fantastic. And he's been tackled at the one several times this year, which hopefully is a trend that will not continue. The other player that we have been pretty excited about and is a little bit inconsistent week-to-week because of the quarterback play, this was an interesting game, Washington-Green Bay. Now, obviously, Devontae Adams does what he does every week. But Terry McLaurin got off to a very fast start, scores a 40-plus-yard touchdown early. Taylor Heineke continues to be one of the most fun quarterbacks in the NFL. It was kind of an unfortunate game for him today where he has one of these quarterback plays now that you can no longer do where even diving forward – you know, if your knee goes down, your four progress has stopped. What a stupid rule. I mean, I, I, like I get it's a, a quarterback safety thing and the, and the, the defenders want to tee off on, on QBs and, and then they're not allowed to touch them. And so it's, 
you know, it's put in place so that the there's never any scenario where the quarterback's diving forward and he gets hit and his, you know, his head gets hit or whatever. But I mean, Taylor Heineke's very on you know un, untouched and is very clearly trying to advance the ball into the end zone. And because his knee comes down just before he's in, he doesn't get the touchdown and then is unable to get in on the sneak on fourth down on the very next play. But I, I yeah, that rule is is frustrating. I've not liked it since they put it in. There is the QB slide, but now QBs are not allowed to dive forward either. The second they're down. And what's going to end up happening is a quarterback in those scenarios where, like, there was a player relatively close to Heineke that uh, on the Packers, a couple different ones that were inside the end zone. He was sort of diving beneath so they wouldn't have necessarily a shot to, to hit him. Quarterbacks are going to have to stay upright as they run into the end zone. They're going to be going right at those people upright, and they're going to get a shot, you know, one yard deep in the end zone. I mean, I think if he if he stayed up and ran in there, he probably takes a hit. And so the whole point is to protect the quarterbacks, but now they're going to force the quarterbacks to stay up to get the yardage that they need to get. Because, I mean, this has happened before on scrambles on, you know, third and tens that have led to fourth downs that have been huge for teams. I mean, this was a third down going into the end zone. I just, I hate that rule. I hate the forward dive rule. He's clearly trying to advance it and he gets in the end zone untouched. Yeah, I don't care for it, but I understand where it's coming from. And... I don't know. It just the, the problem is the NFL doesn't want, and you can kind of understand why they don't want to have these plays where the officials have to decide is the player giving himself up or is that just part of his normal dive forward. But he doesn't get it. He also doesn't get a favorable call on fourth down where his progress has ruled stopped. I mean, that's probably accurate, but he does reach the ball across the line. You know, that's tough for him. I'm impressed because he's playing really hard, which is what we like to see. He had a play in this game where he recovered a fumble, and I think it was a McLaurin fumble, uh, like 25, 30 yards down the field, right? And you know, you don't normally have your quarterback chasing down a fast skill player to recover that fumble just to be in the play. I mean, he doesn't know the fumble's coming. He makes that play, and it just it's cool to see them going after it. It was too bad in this one because McLaurin has a, a very nice game. I think 25 points in fantasy, but flagrantly drops a second-half touchdown that would have given him a 30-plus and a huge game. Yeah, that was tough to see, but he did make some great plays. I mean, right before his, his one touchdown, he made a fantastic leaping catch just for a first down, but it was a high throw. It was a really nice play. I mean, fairly routine, like 12-yard gain, but just a really nice play to get up and catch it on a ball. Like, we're talking about T. Higgins not going up for some of these high throws. Like, you know, Higgins is a big dude. If he, if he was trying like McLaurin is trying, that's what we're talking about. Like, you can make the plays. McLaurin has that plan. I believe it was the very next snap. He scores on a 49-yard touchdown reception, contested catch, throws a little bit back in towards the defender, is able to win that. So, yeah, a bummer on the other one, but he's good. He's good at football, man. <laughs> to your point about Heineke, he's – I mean, obviously, <laughs> I'm just doing the Justin Fields thing, but that's what you're hoping to see from – a. Uh, a dual threat quarterback is a, is a type of thing that you're talking about with Heineke. Somebody who's willing to play pretty hard. And and so he runs 10 times for 95 yards today and not necessarily the most accurate passer. There's a, a few passes that were. We had the, the drop from McLaurin, but we also had a play where McLaurin probably can score if he throws a little bit more accurate pass down in there too. So both of them, you know, could, could help each other out a little bit more, but they're both playing very hard. Right, right. I think, yeah, I think that's just sort of the point with Heineke is the dude is definitely a gamer. He's going to play hard. He's going to um, – and then, yeah, when you're a when you're a dual-threat quarterback who does that, you're going to pick up yardage one way or another. You're going to pick up rushing or or passing yardage. And so 
He's yeah, he's interesting. I thought Fitzpatrick would be back pretty soon, so I've been a little bit off of Heineke the last couple of weeks. I actually had picked him up right after Fitzpatrick got hurt in a couple of leagues with starting him as early as week two, but had let Heineke go because. But the, anyway, the, the most recent report I saw on Fitzpatrick, he's still on crutches. He's still a few weeks away. The, there was some speculation he might be back as soon as maybe next week or the week after that I had heard. Uh, sounds like he's at least a few more weeks away. Heineke, especially in two QB leagues, somebody that definitely should be, you know, should be rostered to be be in lineups. Yeah, and I think it depends a little bit here on how many games Washington loses in the interim because they really have a little bit more incentive to keep going with him if they're more or less eliminated to see what he has. I mean, he looks like someone who's an elite backup as opposed to an NFL starter, but you know, he doesn't have a ton of starts under his belt either. And you know, we're giving some of these guys and you know, another sort of disastrous day now have the injury there with zach wilson but there are other guys in this draft class who were drafted very early and we're giving them some rope to to prove themselves heineke obviously not someone who has a ton of nfl starts the fact that he is demonstrating so much dynamism with such limited experience you could you could look at that as a positive right and perhaps he'll be able to take the next step the the combination of maybe a little bit lack of arm strength and just the the gunslinger mentality i mean Teams are going to be a little bit less willing to accept the gunslinger when you know he's not drafted in the top ten. You draft somebody in the top ten, they have that mentality. You, you're already all in. You, you've got to just kind of take whatever happens there, unless you're Jameis Winston and you throw for you know thirty plus interceptions. At that point, a team may let you go and go get Tom Brady. But it, it'll be interesting to see kind of how this develops because he's kind of put himself in the mix now. A couple of weeks ago, there were some reports that, I mean, he might still be the guy even when Fitzpatrick was healthy, the season kind of moving in the direction where, you know, that might be possible. Obviously, we were excited about Fitzpatrick uh, before the season started. Someone with McLaurin and Logan Thomas could be kind of interesting. But I, I don't know that Heineke is necessarily hurting McLaurin because he just does have this willingness to go out there and get after it. So we'll see what happens the next couple of weeks with these guys, but it's been fun to watch the enthusiasm from him. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Then I need to let you go and get to Sunday night football. But before we wrap up any thoughts that you want to leave us with and or Rashad Bateman in that Ravens Bengals game that we talked about drew a lot of early targets, created some deep targets, uh, Marquise Brown has another extraordinary touchdown catch in terms of being able to control the ball, being able to get his feet down. Both of those guys look like they'll be able to separate. And even in a loss, there were things that were looked very positive long-term for this Ravens passing game. Yep. Completely agree there too. I mean, it, it's nice to see Bateman immediately playing a good amount and involved could have had a bigger day. But, you know, does get 80 yards on just three receptions. And a couple of his bigger plays were shorter completions where he found space and gained some yards after the catch. I'd love to see that. Yeah, impressed by Bateman so far. Uh, I needed to play him in a couple of spots because of the the week seven buys. And, you know, can't really complain about 380 in his second career game. And, I yeah, I think he's going to keep building on that. This is a team that's been willing to throw more more deliberately this year, right, than they have in the past and almost completely went away from the run in this game. I mean, Lamar runs 12 times for 88 yards. A lot of those are on dropbacks. They run four times to Devonta Freeman, five times to Le'Veon Bell, twice to Tyson Williams, a total of 11 running back carries. Oh, we did get our Freeman touchdown. 
we did get a Freeman touchdown. We got some late receptions from from Tyler Huntley for Freeman as well, which was nice. Lamar does get get sat down for Tyler Huntley, so he only throws thirty one times, but the team throws forty two passes. So you know that's that's a kind of split. Like again, we've seen this a couple of times in the Ravens this year. You never saw from the Ravens ever uh, in the past couple of years, and so that's a uh, very very positive to see yet again. If you are interested in Bateman, if you're interested in Brown. Uh, Mark Andrews, and, and I think those three guys, I mean, Sammy Watkins is going to return at some point, but those three guys seem like they're going to be the bulk of this passing game going forward. Sammy Watkins is not someone that if I'm the Ravens, I want to have out there for many routes. The uh, Just a, a quick question to leave here with. We have, and I have, so Marquise Brown in Dynasty, I'm buying the dip last year, obviously not very good for him, and now he's scoring these long touchdowns every week. Would you sell this hot streak that he's had knowing that Bateman is coming on so fast and has been so impressive early? Is there enough for all three of those guys? Because Mark Andrews is going to be, I mean, at the tight end position, you have so many fewer options. Obviously, you're not going to sell someone like him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really fair question. I, I'm i extremely excited about Bateman. He's, you know, he was my wide receiver two in the, you know, in the pre-draft process. At the same time, like the way that Brown's playing, I don't expect that Bateman's just going to be ahead of Brown, right? So, I mean, is that sort? That's sort of the implication if you're selling Brown. Brown gets 14 targets today. Bateman gets six, and I, you know, I realize obviously I was just saying this second second career game for Bateman. Long term, I do think Bateman projects better as like a, a the true sort of number one or alpha or what what do you want whatever you want to call it, but. Brown is also a really nice fit with Jackson. Jackson's ability to extend plays and and his deep passing is going to fit really nicely with Brown sort of regardless. So I don't know. I don't know that I would be selling Brown. I, You know, in DFS this week, Bateman was a really popular pump play. I didn't play Bateman. I played, I mean, because he was, you know, rostered on a lot of, a lot of teams, but uh, I pivoted to Marquise Brown specifically for that reason. I was glad to see that work out. Uh, but I've, Felt like that was a little bit presumptuous that Bateman was even already on Brown's level. They both end up with 80 yards. You know, I, I get a little lucky there in in that scenario that Brown's the one who scores the touchdown. Bateman does look very, very good, but I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'd, I would be asking you because you're sort of posing that thought. I wouldn't be thinking right now, sell Brown, I don't think. I was surprised when I redid my dynasty rankings the other day just how high Brown was and actually went back in a couple days later and moved him down slightly with this idea that Bateman is going to take a chunk out. But I think that the, the Ravens running game is going to be so bad this year. I mean, I, I was watching this game with family and, and Le'Veon Bell, you know, gets a, a target and takes it for, you know, what he does. And and someone asked, you know, is that Le'Veon Bell? And when I said, you know, it is just, you know, the room dissolves in you know, gales of laughter. <laughs> this idea that Le'Veon Bell is out there on NFL field right now. And I mean, the funny thing was, you know, the person picked Bell out basically uh, just, just on the fact that when he got the ball and then it's like time stopped or time stopped for him while everybody else is going yeah. to play. Right? So I, six touches for four yards today for Bell. It, uh, if anything, he looks slower than he looked last year with the Chiefs and the Jets. It really makes you wonder how many assignments or just how lost Williams looks in practice that they would even have considered making him act last week. But the point here, I think, is that the Ravens' offense is still going to be very dynamic. I think there are, there are so many points to be scored this season with Brown and Mark Andrews and then potentially even with Bateman 
that you, you definitely couldn't sell right now in part because you're just going to benefit from it so heavily and then when things reset in the off season and one of the things that we do see that happens is that players will maintain kind of their anchored value to an extent now they're going to go up the people who are dominating they're going to rise in value but they don't completely reset to a, com a totally different area until the off season and then in the off season it's even kind of over time where you know you think about someone like a cd lamb even where the gap that he had in multiple formats off of Amari Cooper, the price that he demanded in Dynasty, it rises throughout the offseason as people grapple with the fact that, okay, this is this is where we are now. We're in a new year, right? I think that Brown's dominance this season is going to reestablish him in such a different area of value next offseason that you'll be able to sell at that point, take the profit, and also reduce your risk a little bit because if J.K. Dobbins comes back the Ravens have a balanced offense or even a run heavy offense. So we've seen them be one of the craziest run heavy offenses in the NFL for a, such an extended stretch. I mean, it wouldn't surprise if they got back there. I mean, 2022 could be a completely different story, but I think that even if people know that that's a possibility, the stat line that Brown is going to have for 2021 uh, should end up being so dynamic that his price will have to demand a trade value. That's kind of in that range. And, and I, I, couldn't agree more. I love the way that you talked about the way that that value sort of adjusts. What I will say on Brown is I think for him, his value will be the highest in the early part of the offseason. And as we progress and get into July and August, I think there's going to wind up being more optimism for Bateman and, and Dobbins will be back. And there'll be that's when there will be start to be some concerns about the things you were saying. So for anyone who is kind of thinking about this and thinking through what to do with Brown, my, my mindset would be like, you want the production this year. And then I'd probably try to sell them in, in February, you know, in January or February in the, with the idea that throughout the off season, there will be more excitement for Bateman, whatever Bateman's able to put up. And then there'll be less excitement about Baltimore's ability to pass as much or, or desire to pass as much as they will wind up doing here in 2021 in 2022 so that might be one actually where throughout the offseason as things coalesce it's it's worse for brown's value i don't know do you think that i do i do and i think that'll be a little bit similar to david montgomery so when we talked about who had that real boost from the schedule based finish and then uh, you know as you get closer to the season people realize okay well you know, this is going to be David Montgomery. He may take the next step, but there are also these other things structurally going on with the offense in Chicago that are a little bit of a red flag. So that's a that's a perfect analysis there. Uh, and, and that is the way that I would play Marquise Brown. So that'll take us to the end of our Sunday night slash Monday morning stealing bananas. We had a good time with you guys. As always, uh, if you can, leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the feed. You'll get the show as early as possible that way i'm sean siegel with me as always is ben gretch whom you can follow at yards per gretch and definitely sign up to ceiling signals ben mentioned when you can get those it's the best thing to read on your monday and tuesday afternoon slash well it's more evening time for those of us or for those of you on the east coast ben and i are still on the same time right now good luck get everything you need on monday night football talk to you then